For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. From Meat Eaters World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. Let me introduce you to Leedsichthys problematicus, the largest fish the world has ever seen, possibly stretching the tape at over 70 feet long. For reference, that's a fish about a quarter of a football field or about as tall as the south side of the White House in length. There are only two whales that outsize this fish, the blue whale at 100 plus feet in length and the northern fin whale at over 80 feet in length. Now, the name Problematicus may conjure up all sorts of romanticized images of sailors and fishermen in peril on the high seas, but the problem that the name Problematicus refers to is the fossilized bones of this 155 million year old fish were many, hard to keep track of, and harder to put back together. One specimen, known as the Big Meg, filled 20 museum drawers with more than 10,000 pieces of bone just from its tail. It's Megalodon. He's kidding, right? As with any fish story, the size of this fish is debatable, ranging from 36 feet to over 100. No different than if you were down at Joe's Bar in Craig, Montana, on the banks of the Missouri River, talking about the size of a trout you landed that day. You can find more on this whopper of a fish from our own Sam Lundgren at TheMeatEater.com. Now, if this fishtail is just too old for you, let's talk great white sharks real quick. A great white can stretch the tape at more than 20 feet and weigh in well past the 2,000 pound mark, which means it would take about three and a half great whites to stack up to one Problematicus. There is actually a documented geotag female swimming around the Florida Keys right now that fits this description. 
As you can imagine, no matter how big the shark, the size of the ocean makes them hard to keep track of, and many questions still exist as to the behavior of species like the great white. For instance, Cape Town, South Africa has long been a world-renowned destination where shark viewers can jump in a cage and view great white sharks as they congregate to feed on seals in those waters. Now, however, the great whites are gone. As I said before, any fish or shark is hard to keep close tabs on in a body of water such as the ocean. Early estimates of the great white population around Cape Town were in the thousands, until a DNA study performed in 2010 revealed that there were possibly as few as 300. And those 300 or so are no longer there. Coincidentally, 300 is the amount of teeth a great white can carry in its jaw at a given time. We know longline fishing operations take a heavy toll on sharks, but we don't know that fishing is entirely to blame in the case of the Cape Town shark disappearance. Great whites are an impressive predator for sure, but they do end up as prey on occasion, and it seems that they are quite aware of the pecking order. Killer whales will grow to about 26 feet in length. Adults will weigh in between 3 and 12,000 pounds, with the males being the larger of the sexes. If we keep with our big fish comparison, that's about 2.1 killer whales to make up one Leedsichthys problematicus. I suppose it is no secret that the killer whale will predate upon sharks, but what may be surprising is just how they do it. Documented fatal encounters have included death by ramming, tail thrashing, and the dragging of sharks backwards so the shark's gills cannot function. They actually drown sharks. An ongoing study of tagged great whites around the Farallon Islands, another spot to watch sharks congregate around seals, repeatedly showed that when groups of killer whales would pass by the islands, the great whites would vanish. In 2009, a group of great white sharks that had congregated around the southeast end of the Farallon Islands vanished in just a few hours when a group of orcas entered their zone. This is after happily feeding on seals for three months in the area. The Great Whites didn't return for over a month. If you're saying, geez, I don't know, there must be some other factors. Why would 17 apex predators just abandon that much food? Well, you know, and this is a theory, in those gangster movies where certain mobsters or gangs leave behind gruesome calling cards on victims, like, uh, you know, nasty stuff meant to send a message and intimidate folks so nobody gets crosswise with the boss or the gang. Well, it seems that killer whales have a calling card of sorts. They bite the great white sharks around the pectoral fins, tearing a hole, through which they eat the shark's liver and basically discard the rest. This feeding technique has been described as similar to squeezing toothpaste out of a tube. Heck of a message. Imagine if Al Pacino's character in Scarface, Tony Montana, did that. Say hello to my little friend! Two killer whales were observed ramming and eating only the liver of a great white off the Farallon Islands in 1997, and four great whites washed up on the beaches of South Africa, missing their livers over the course of two months in May of 2017. A fifth great white, a 13-foot male, was missing his testes, liver, and stomach. If that doesn't send a message, I don't know what does. If you think those sharks, fish, and whales are impressively powerful, let me tell you that Cal's Week in Review is powered by steel power equipment. Not only do they make great gas-powered saws, but as you know, they make a great line of battery-powered equipment and a couple little pole saws. No gas or lithium-ion necessary. I've just come to love these things. They're super strong, super handy, and super efficient. It's like a hand-powered chainsaw. 
make quick work of limbs or logs, whether you're cleaning a shooting lane or stacking up fuel for the fire. Check them out at steelcal.com. That's S-T-I-H-L-C-A-L.com. This week, we've got an update on stream access in New Mexico, Florida black bears, humpback whales, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. Old Stephen Rinella and I went over to South Dakota to hunt ducks and fish the fall walleye bite. I'm just going to make a partial apology to my walleye angling friends right now. You are correct that walleye do hit harder in the fall than they have for me in the spring, which is kind of like saying they actually strike something instead of just barely breathing it in. We used flatfish ice fishing jigs that were three to four inches long. No bait, just prospecting around a lake jigging, and it was very fun. Is the walleye the hardest hitting fish? No, but I am coming around and the meat is really good. It also helps when you catch a big fish. I led the charge with a hefty 24-incher, at which point I promptly made fun of Steve, who had that all-too-familiar look of jealousy on his face that I love. Edit all this out. Uh, right up until his rod bent hard, and soon he had a 29-and-a-half-inch walleye that probably weighed in the neighborhood of 12 pounds. The state record walleye is just a shade over 16 pounds. We ate the younger fish and threw back Steve's biggin for brood stock. Walleye can live in the wild beyond 20 years, and as is typical with fish, the older the more successfully they reproduce. The walleye is called a walleye due to a pearlescent eye. The eye has a reflective layer of pigment across it called tapetum lucidum, which helps them see in dark and murky water. To give you an idea of just how much folks pursue this fish, an estimated four to 5,000 metric tons of walleye are caught in Canada each year. Lake Superior estimates 71,000 fish were kept in 2017. As for South Dakota, a state seemingly drawn up for people who love to fish and hunt, Northern University admits it is difficult to know the exact number, but harvest statewide assuredly exceeds 1 million fish annually. I would love to know the economic impact of walleye anglers. Not so much in license sales, boat tags, and fishing tackle, the stuff that supplies so much cash for conservation through excise taxes like Dingle Johnson. The number I want to see is the breakout of revenue attributed to walleye anglers to companies that produce canola oil, flour, cornmeal, paper towels, and grain belt beer. I'd bet that number turns a few heads. As for the ducks, they were delicious. The shooting went from decent to bad to good. The birds were in town, but the food, and especially the water, was everywhere. The birds didn't need to be anywhere specific. They could just light about any random spot and eat, drink, splash, and hiding. The scene honestly brought up some mixed feelings. We hunted flooded cornfields and soybean fields that were basically underwater. A big waste of food and the farmer's money. The other interesting situation is the pothole-type country we were in essentially had no drain to it. Imagine a golf ball with all its dimples intact being a slightly concave surface. You get a little water and some dimples fill in. A little more, those dimples start to disappear, being replaced by a puddle. Now imagine that those little golf ball dimples are all owned by individuals, including, for the purpose of this example, BLM, the state of South Dakota, farmers, ranchers... That's pretty much what we witnessed in South Dakota. Water filling up to public roads and right-of-ways that have no trespassing floating buoys marking submerged property lines. Skip across this quarter section beyond the next set of buoys, and there is a piece of BLM underwater. 
And then a piece of state waterfowl production area underwater. And then you hit another county road, only this road is 15 feet underwater. Which I hear, by the way, is a great place to target walleyes in the spring. It is a really bizarre scene to step into. I can't imagine what it's like to be a property owner, as I'll tell you as a guy standing on that road from Montana with a pretty good understanding of water and access laws, I'd probably be getting yelled at. Another, for instance, before we move on, the lake that we caught the big walleyes on was described by the state of South Dakota as a natural alkaline slough approximately 3,000 acres and 3 feet in depth prior to the 1990s when higher than average annual snow and rainfall started to fill it up. It is now more than 15,000 acres and we were fishing in more than 30 feet of water, likely over the top of what was once farm equipment, fence lines, and prime pheasant and white-tailed deer habitat. Just a fun side note, I came across a billboard for a steakhouse that displayed two toddlers sitting on their butts. The script above them read, Grandpa's steaks are so tender you don't need teeth. So you can look forward to that next time you go to South Dakota. A lot of people think that getting life insurance means you're insuring yourself for yourself, but it's actually the exact opposite. It's insuring yourself for your family. So if something happens to me and I'm not around anymore, I can have more peace of mind that my family can have some financial support, and that's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. More than once in my life, my journey, people have described me as an independent person, and that's how I want to stay even when I'm dead. That's how I want to be remembered. That's why I have life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meatfabric.com slash cal. That's meatfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. 
I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Moving on, we've got a lot to cover this week. And since we're on the subject of large marine critters, I've got some good news for you. A study published this month in Royal Society Open Science found that the South Atlantic humpback whales are nearly back to pre-whaling numbers. The population dropped down to less than 500 individuals in the 1950s, but is now estimated at 25,000. The South Atlantic is only one of 14 distinct groups of regional humpbacks in the world, and not all are doing so well. Humpbacks in the Northern Hemisphere are struggling with four populations that are endangered and another that's threatened, mostly due to changes in oceanic conditions and the impacts on krill, the humpback's food base. For now, however, southern humpbacks are doing pretty damn well, and that's cause for a momentary celebration. We talk a great deal on this show about the role of hunting and hunters in the conservation of species, especially game species. Well, This is an example where we can't claim any credit at all. A ban on commercial whaling in the 80s is primarily the cause of this rebound. In other words, we left the whales alone, and they reestablished themselves. Moving on to another quick hitter about the historic species decline and hunting. I came across a new paper about the drop in large mammals, humans, and megafauna that happened about 13,000 years ago. Archaeologists have been arguing amongst themselves about the causes of this die-off for some time. One theory holds that early human hunters, like the Clovis people, hunted the megafauna into extinction. They ran out of food and then died off themselves. But a new report published in the journal Scientific Reports adds a bit more evidence to what's known as the Younger Dryas Impact Hypothesis. For those of you who aren't hip to archaeologist slang, the hypothesis claims an extraterrestrial body, we're not talking uh, like the movie E.T. here, we're talking like a comet or meteor, hit the Earth and wreaked some serious havoc. Researchers have been finding layers of platinum dust in Earth core samples that seem to have settled just before the global die-offs of large mammals started. Some asteroids just happen to be rich in platinum, and big enough impact might have distributed particles around the globe. So far, these platinum spikes, as they're called, have been found in North America, Europe, Western Asia, Chile, and South Africa. One of the authors of the new report, Dr. Christopher Moore, doesn't completely absolve early hunters of any responsibility writing, we speculate that the impact contributed to the extinction, but it wasn't the only cause. Overhunting by humans almost certainly contributed to. Jumping over to the BC desk, as in British Columbia, applications are being taken at the Pacific Rim National Park Reserve to help monitor wolves. This, quote, uniquely hands-on citizen science project is looking for poop fairies. Volunteers are taught to identify and differentiate wolf feces from all the other poop out there. Interested poop fairies must be able to commit to at least one poo hunt per month for one year, and they caution volunteers not to expect gold mines each time they search. 
just landmines. That's a bad joke. You can learn a lot from animal scat. What the animal has been eating is obvious, but you can also extract DNA and use that to look at how animals relate to each other in a territory. So if your current volunteer job stinks, become a poop fairy. And don't worry, Pacific Rim National Park Reserve doesn't expect this to be everyone's cup of tea. The University of Minnesota Extension Master Naturalist Program, which sounds amazing just by the title, is looking for hunters to set up game cameras on gut piles to record scavenger activities as in what shows up and when they do. For those of you who like to say hunting is conservation, this is your chance to put that t-shirt where your citizen science is. We're covering a lot of states today. We're jumping over to New Mexico. Remember when we talked about the miserable state of New Mexico's stream access laws and big game tag allocations? Well, last week, the State Game Commission voted to rescind the rule that was issuing extra bighorn and other desirable tags to outfitters. They also announced they would reconsider the 2017 rule that allowed streamside landowners to petition to close waterways through their property to public access. This would be a great step toward correcting the disastrous rules from the past administration that saw public stream access greatly curtailed. If you live in New Mexico, I'd strongly suggest calling or emailing the members of the Game Commission to encourage them to right this wrong. If you recreate in the state of New Mexico, as in you like to float, fish, hunt, go outside and do fun things, I would greatly encourage you to call the Game Commission or write a friendly letter or make a phone call to the governor's office. This is a big deal, as I've said before, when it comes to easements or stream access laws. One state can set precedent for everybody else. So let's keep them on their good side. Now, I've been giving the Florida desk a break as, let's face it, they've been overworked. But we are going back there now to check in on a long and contentious revision of the state's black bear management plan. Florida is a great example of wildlife conservation when it comes to the black bear as unregulated hunting, habitat loss, and fire management practices nearly wiped the bears from the low-lying state. In fact, the black bear was on the state species of concern list up until 2012. Now, however, the black bear is doing great and, of course, getting into trouble in that zone we reference often here on the Weekend Review, the Urban Interface. That spot where a good wildlife corridor meets up with the golf course or newly planned communities. When I say doing great, according to the new proposed management plan, the bears are overpopulation objectives in four of the six bear management units or BMUs. In 2015, the first black bear hunt held in recent Florida history, hunters killed 304 bears in just two days. Florida Fish and Wildlife shut the week-long hunt down due to the fast success of hunters. This, quote, new hunt being so successful out of the gate did not go over well with many Florida residents, and the backlash from the public resulted in the suspension, once again, of black bear hunting in the state and eventually the aforementioned re-evaluation of the black bear management plan. Florida Fish and Wildlife is taking public comment now. If you are a believer in science-based wildlife management, I urge you to call or write in. If you would like, you can even go to backcountryhunters.org and sign a petition on behalf of the Southeast Chapter's efforts to keep hunting and hunters as an active part of wildlife management. This Florida situation isn't a new one. We have hunters willing to hunt, kill and eat bears, and a lot of folks who don't identify or understand that. 
So instead, they're pushing the state to find a third-party solution, such as hiring sharpshooters to kill bears, birth control methods, and my favorite, habitat management. As in, manage the land to not produce as many bears. Think that one might have an effect on other plant and animal species? Yes! These bears don't exist in a vacuum. It is not lost on me that hunters can be their own worst enemies here as well. The success of the 2015 hunt came as a shock to all. Hunters, non-hunters, and wildlife professionals alike. What seemed like a successful hunt to some looked like a slaughter to others. And then you have a handful of hunters, some naive, some not, that publicize some of their legally killed bears to people that wouldn't want to see them under the best of circumstances. I want this bear hunt to happen. I just hope that all parties involved took this soon-to-be four-year hunting hiatus as a time to learn about both the management of Florida's black bears and Florida's growing human population. Quick fun fact for you, a now-resigned Florida Fish and Wildlife Commissioner, who I fully admit did not possess much tact, accused the commenting Florida public opposed to black bear hunting of just associating these bears with a teddy bear. The name Teddy Bear comes from Theodore Teddy Roosevelt, who was born October 27th, just a few days ago at the time of this recording. A effigy of Teddy Roosevelt with a bayed bear in a Mississippi swamp is what inspired the name of the first stuffed bear. So, now you know that. (laughs) I'm going to give you a good news finish here in the home state of Montana, but don't worry, this benefits everyone. You may recall me talking about the Fort Keogh fishing access site on the Yellowstone River out of Miles City, Montana. Uh, That was on USDA ground, as in U.S. Department of Agriculture. Uh, Due to some bad eggs, some bad characters, this site has been closed to public use since 2013, which is why you need to call your congressman or woman and tell them to be on the lookout for Amendment 948 from Senator John Tester in Montana, And you even get to tell them that thing that everybody loves. Cut some bureaucratic red tape in the name of public access. That's all I got for you. Thanks for listening to Cal's Week in Review. As per usual, if you want to set me straight or tell me something great, write in to askcal, A-S-K-C-A-L, at themeateater.com. If you want to leave me a review, go to iTunes or any place that podcasts can be streamable or downloadable. Hit that furthest right-hand star. And if you really like this stuff, don't hold it all to yourself. Spread the love and tell a friend about Cal's Week in Review. Tell them to subscribe. Thanks a bunch. I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and burnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks, 
sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, venison.com, and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.